Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast. On today's episode, we're delighted to be speaking to the CEO of BLW Insurance, a name many of you will know as Brett Sainty. Brett has over 30 years experience in the industry, and today we're talking about the hardening market, the importance of the independent broker, and why mental health plays a big part in our industry. Welcome, Brett. Good afternoon, Brett. Thank you so much for joining me on today's uh, podcast. Uh, We're going to pretty much redo the conversation we had yesterday, which was very, very interesting. And I'm sure lots of people will be very interested to hear what you've got to say. So welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Sarah. And I thoroughly enjoyed yesterday's conversation. So it's one that I'm very happy to repeat with you today. Fabulous. I think it would be really um, great if you would give us a bit of an overview of your background. I'm sure most people have, have heard your name. So tell us, tell us who is Brett Sainty? Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed with a rather unusual name, Sarah. So um, anything I've done wrong is, is etched in people's memories for, forever. Um, there, is, there is only one Brett Sainty, so I can't hide from any of that. Um, but yeah, I've been in the insurance industry well over 30 years now, for 16 straight into the industry, predominantly in the London market with a combination of insurers and, and Lloyds brokers. Uh, and currently, I'm the chief executive officer and owner of BLW uh, Insurance Brokers Limited, which is a Lloyds cover holder. We're in the eye of the storm at the moment because we do promote ourselves as dealing with more challenging risks. And there's lots of those. Uh, about at the moment and the market is in a really difficult spot and um, I'm quite passionate about us working together collectively brokers and insurers um, to try and make as best we possibly can ultimately for the end user the customer. I've had some really interesting conversations around this topic uh, lately and I completely agree with you before we get into it what does BLW stand for? Yeah, BLW is the founding partners of the business. So uh, that was 50 years ago in 1971. So we didn't want to change that brand. It was important to us that we kept that continuity. Fabulous. So Brett, talk, because you've got, well, BLW are quite interesting in terms of where their markets are. You've had a lot of experience across different elements of the insurance industry. And as you've just said, you're in the eye of the storm right at the moment. Talk to us about this this hard market that everybody's talking to us about at the moment. Tell, what's your take on it? Where are we going? Where have we been and why? Yeah, it is a hard market, a very, very challenging market, Sarah. And I think it's important that um, I'm sure we'll touch on COVID today and, and lots of different topics and around the challenges that that brings. But it's important to remember that there were signs of this hardening market pre, pre-COVID. Um And it's important, I think, that we understand what's driving the hard market. And it's a significant reduction in capacity, ultimately, that's driving that. But equally, we also have to acknowledge that this this has largely been as a consequence of insurers not making an underwriting profit. So they've paid more out in 
in claims and they've collected in premium, probably for, for close on 20 years, which essentially wasn't a huge problem when interest rates were quite high and the bond market was very vibrant. So you could run a business with a combined operating ratio of over 100% and still satisfy your shareholders and still keep the business going. But unfortunately, in recent years, the interest rates are, are very low. The bond market's very flat. So we've had to start trying to get back to the basics of making an underwriting profit. And that's why we're seeing this really quite dramatic hardening of rates and the change in appetite from composites insurer. Composite insurers is becoming much more narrow uh, as, as that happens. So it's been some time, I think, in the making and it isn't just COVID related. Yeah, I think that's one of the um, one of the points that uh, can get lost because COVID actually COVID's going to take a hit for a lot of things that were going wrong beforehand, uh, <laughs> and not just in the insurance industry. But I, I see that kind of trend happening quite a lot. Talk to me a little bit about what that means for specific industries. We all know the PI market's going crazy at the moment. What 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 is it going to mean for our sort of global economy for the for the VSMEs and the SMEs of which make up the large proportion of commercial interest? What's it going to mean for them? Well, you're right, and you're right to to, to pick out professional indemnity directors and officers insurance. Anything with a longer tail. Now, what what we mean by that in the insurance industry is we're referring to to that liability or financial risks cover um, where the impact of claims can actually span over a, a much longer period, many, many years. So those classes with a longer tail for, for liability and financial loss claims are going to be the first area that insurers look at and look to, look to reduce their line on. So that's why we're seeing this really, really quite intense action on, on risks like professional indemnity and, and directors and officers insurance and some of the riskier liability risks. I was having a conversation on this with um, somebody from Markel, might even have been yesterday, and one of the things that, that he was saying was, we were talking about retention and, and how retention is going to be a problem because a lot of brokers, and you, you mentioned this right at the beginning, may not have a carrier partner that can, that can take some of the, the trickier risks of which there are more now, that the definition of tricky risk uh, has, has, has significantly widened. What's going to happen there? Yeah, well, we're in a we're in a really challenging situation. There is, aren't we? And one over the course of the last year, where I, I personally have seen the, the the very best of insurance companies, and and also, and also the very worst. So by that I mean, as the as insurers look to move towards an underwriting profit, and they look at rate strength, they're also looking at what would be defined as non-standard risks. Now, there's a broad definition, isn't there? Non-standard, you know, what what becomes non-standard? If a a small chain of hotels was previously occupied and trading as a going concern for hotels and has been closed during COVID, are they now unoccupied? Um, And there are insurers that will consider them to now be unoccupied and consequently will be imposing either a significant reduction in the in the cover that they provide along with a significant increase in the premium or declining to offer terms altogether Um, so it's forcing business to be moved around the market 
um, which is you say some brokers won't have facilities to find solutions to that. Then we need to consider, of course, don't we, the customer at the end of this. So there's been conversations that many brokers have had whereby we're simultaneously declining indemnity on what the public perception is of a legitimate business interruption claim under COVID. And unhelpfully, we're following that up with a reduction in cover and a significant increase in premium, or sometimes a trebling in premium and having to change markets. So when I talk about the industry has work to do reputationally, you'll understand that it's important that we don't underestimate that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the end customer, so I've had a lot of conversations recently about the problems that this sort of underpinning gives brokers on their retention and on their new, new business. And what comes up consistently in the conversations I'm having is we can't hide away from it. We've got to face it head on with an explanation to the end customer about why. And that feeds into um, what I think is a fundamental principle of, of the human race that we don't always get very well, and that's communication. Communication is absolutely critical in, 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 in what we're talking about here. Do you know, Sarah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, if I was a betting man, I, I, I bet the three expressions that, that we will use more than anyone else, than, than any other phrase or word during this discussion and over the next 18 months will be communication. Closely followed by collaborative working and, and shared understanding. And the whole industry now, um, and by that I mean insurers, brokers, you know, um, trades that are associated with our industry and Lloyds, we really must get better at that communication and particularly advancing it. So, you know, if we're, if we're dealing with a tricky renewal, then we need to be engaged with the customer three months before um, and engaged with the insurer three months before. And if there's a risk of the insurer declining to offer renewal, we've got to get on the front foot and find an alternative market to that. Um, but communication, absolutely vital. Yeah. One of the things that I am putting together a webinar at the moment that we're doing with, uh, in partnership with Markel, and one of the things that, that, I, was do that I read when I was, was putting it together was this, this idea that we're not um, solution sellers anymore. That's almost gone. What we need to be doing now, what our clients need us to be doing is understanding, identifying, and then providing a solution for whatever the problem is. And that requires so much more than an, uh, uh, an insurance focus because of what's going on. We're in a position now where we have to almost be sort of business strategists, business risk analysts, uh, the whole spectrum to be able to support that client to the extent that, that they're going to need it. And if we're not doing it, another broker is. Yeah, I, I think this is a business such as yourself, where Boston Towers can really help is around that communication piece. Because, you know, for years we've sold relatively simplified products off the shelf. A, a standard commercial combined product, sometimes trading on, traded online. Um, and composite insurers have done a great job um, during the pandemic and also before that with some of that online trading. But I think you're right. It, it's Insurance broking for me is returning back to that trusted advisor status. It's vital that we remember essentially 
what we're talking about here is risk transfer. We're transferring risk from our customers' business, freeing up their balance sheet to allow them to go out and build and grow their own business. So we're transferring risk. And that's the basic principle of what we do. But I think it's changing and people are going to be so much more reliant on that advice. And it won't necessarily always be an off-the-shelf commercial combined product. And, and brokers need to really engage in their marketing, I think, to get that message out there to the customer that that's the service that, that they can provide. And the, and the winners in the broking community, for me, are going to be those individuals that have got a really focused attention on their marketing, that are getting that message out there um, and are able to to sit with their customers when they're permitted to do so or engage with them via technology to actually understand the risk and make sure they've got the appropriate product in place. You, you're, yeah, 100%. And one of the things that, um, one of some of the reading that I've been doing and some of the conversations are around, it's a bit cliche, but the changing world of sales. So the hard market, COVID, the global economy, the massive, massive sort of transformation we've had in terms of digital uh, technology, and I'm talking about Zoom, I'm talking about social media, emails, analytics, algorithms, it's all coming together to create almost the perfect storm for massive, massive change. And, and I was doing, I was talking to somebody about um, our buyers, so our, our commercial clients. No longer are you dealing with one decision maker. It used to be several years ago, and I, I read this in Jason Liu, the CEO of Zywave's um, uh, ebook. It used to be 5.8 buyers in the decision making process for a mid to large corporation or 5.4, I think, and now it's 6.8. So you've got more, it's not just an emotive buying, you know, I like you, I want to sell to you, or you like me and you want to buy from me, whatever it is, that there are now several people that you've got to go through the chain, a lot of whom are digital natives. Like my kids, it's as normal for them to have a FaceTime conversation as it is from a face-to-face. And as in older generations, obviously prefer the face-to-face. But, but the, my kids, and actually my brother's generation, he's in his uh, mid-20s now, digital natives. I love that phrase because that's what they are. So if you're thinking about your growth, then you've got to be thinking about the future and the type of buyer and buyers that you need to be linking in with. And that involves an understanding of technology and it involves an understanding of their market and not just the CEO's pain points, but the FD's pain points and the, the chairman's pain points. And, the, and you've got to have that understanding to be able to start to do some of this selling. And if you're not doing it, somebody else is because that's the direction we're going in. And it's fascinating to watch these changes take place and, and, and have these conversations with people as it's happening. Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. And we talked yesterday, didn't we, about imposters syndrome. And, you know, I still think of myself as, you know, in my early 20s, um, having just left commercial union and, and joined the Lloyds broker Bias Mosley. Um, that's no longer the case. So I have, to, I have to embrace that. But equally, I need to consider what my customers want. Where do my customers hang out? How can I engage with my customers? And, and I may like doing business over a cup of coffee in Lloyd's with all, with all my brokers and underwriters. 
But the world has changed, and that works for some people, and it may be my preference. But the reality is most people actually will be reaching out to us electronically, and most of our most effective marketing will be digital. Um, and for retail brokers, the most effective way, without question, of them sharing their expertise and capturing those really valuable prospects that want to speak, possibly remotely, but want to engage on a one-to-one -one basis with somebody with a really detailed insurance brain and understanding risk transfer. But that's going to happen via digital marketing. Yeah. You know, we, we may, as an industry, and, and the people in my generation particularly, may crave a really gloriously glossy A4 15-page brochure. But that's not what decision makers want. I think to take your point, most decision makers in SME businesses, if we pick that premium band, maybe up to £100,000 of GWP, most decision makers in those businesses are going to think like your kids more than they think like me. And that's terrifying because I'm in the think like you bracket. <laughs> um but but actually, my entire business is based on, it's essentially based on taking what you do in a daily basis, those renewal meetings with your, your, your clients, and turning it into something that could be valuable for a client mark two, aka a prospect. That's, you know, gone are the days where you sit down with a blank piece of paper and go, hmm, I'm going to write a blog on caravan insurance that's not how that's nobody cares nobody wants to know about caravan insurance but perhaps maybe go and speak to the owner of a big caravan company and say what keeps you up at night I get that I've had this experience and I was able to help my client in this way capture it on some kind of um, digital you know zoom webex c3x whatever and use that as your raw content. You can, you can just do so much with it. And that's where everything's going. It, it builds into the trusted advisor solutions, understanding, speaking to their intray, everything that you should be doing to be an effective sales business, which really is what all businesses are, unless you're not for profit and you're doing something else. Uh, but, you know, a business that's for profit is based on how much they sell of whatever it is, service, product, etc. So let's do it well. Let's integrate it with marketing. Absolutely. I mean, if you consider, Sarah, and, and there was, um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name now, Seth. He does a lot of LinkedIn. Godin. Yeah. Uh, he does a great item about LinkedIn, about he's looking for two guys in a particular um, sector. And one guy has got a great LinkedIn profile. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's very clear what he does and what his expertise is. And he can't find the other guy on LinkedIn. And it transpires the other guy is super talented. But no one knows. He's vacant almost on LinkedIn. He doesn't exist. So Seth goes on to say, you know, this guy, I can't find this guy. Who is he? Um, and, and it's having, it's being visible, isn't it? It's making your expertise visible, which, you know, Boston Tullis can, can help hugely with. And the, the insurance broker needs that. It really does. It does. But I think the point that's really, really salient here is it's integrated into everything we do. You can't escape it. No. You, it will be the first place somebody will look about your business, either to corroborate what they already know or to find out a bit more. And it's got to be there. And if it's not there, 
you're in trouble. But I also think people get stuck in paralysis by perfection when they're thinking about putting stuff on, on me. As long as you're not hanging out a window with your bum out, then you're probably okay. If you, you know, if you put something out there that maybe the, the resolution is, is slightly lower than you would like it, nobody else is going to notice. It's all right. So I think there's, there's a middle way to manage this. And I think it can be really, really effective from a marketing perspective. I want to jump slightly, but there's a, there's a, there's a relationship to where we've just been about where we're going to go. And that is about the community banding together and something you've just done about joining the um, Wholesale Brokers Advisory Board. Talk to me about why and, and how important that is in, in, in what's going forward in the community or the, the industry that we really need to be. Yeah, so Biba, which, as you know, have a number of different advisory boards, and I've just joined the Biba Advisory Board for International and Wholesale Brokers. And it's vital work, and I'm always um, surprised at how many brokers pay their annual Biba subscription, maybe go to the Biba conference, and never give it another thought. But Biba is so much more than that, and it can be so much, so, bring so much value to businesses. And you know, we have to accept, Sarah, we, the insurance industry, brokers and insurers, we've got some reputational work to do. You know, the handling of, of, of the, the, the COVID BI claims and the, the, the regulator and the high court decision, in hindsight, I'm sure everybody involved would have done things differently. But sadly, we are where we are. And where we've ended up is that as an industry, we, we have some work to do to restore the trust in the public. Now, Biba are key to that. But what we need to ensure is that is that smaller brokers and they've got a vital role to play in this. You know, I, I think there are national brokers and consolidators that do great work, really great work. And a number of the consolidators I count as, as friends of mine. So. You know, I'm not in the least bit critical to them. And there are, there are people that have worked in this industry in which to sell their business. And there's, there's some great consolidator models out there. But this business is about competition. And we need independent brokers, well-established, long-term independent brokers and new entrants into the market. And Bieber has a lot to offer. So it was important to me that uh, BLW, firstly, as a, as, an, as a genuinely independent broker, that is wholly owned by, by its working directors, has a voice on that council. I thought that was vitally important. And secondly, you know, there, there's nothing quite like being on an advisory board because you can poke a bit harder, you know? You can actually say, come on. And those guys encourage that. Steve White's doing a great job at Bieber. But you've got to get up into these people, Sarah, you know, and say, come on, we need some help. And this is what's happening. These are the problems that smaller brokers have got. This is the perception of us in, in, the, in the public domain. So um, for me, uh, joining that advisory board, you know, was uh, something that I felt compelled to do. Actually. I have a, a question for you on it. I had a conversation with somebody who I won't mention for the purposes of this, but I'd like your take on, on the conversation. There's so much that Bieber can offer independent brokers, but there is so much that's being missed in terms of what they could be offering. And the conversation generally was around the benefit to being free to brokers, but charging non-brokers who could provide some really valuable 
work for brokers, sort of almost pricing them out. Like, for example, we're not broker uh, Bieber members because it's just an astronomical fee for us to join. But what we do for brokers with brokers is very, very valuable. And the clients we've got, you know, would corroborate that. So, but discuss that. And what, what this particular person I was to said was he thinks that flipping Bieber on the head and charging a nominal fee for the broker base to be able to access some of the external offerings would would be something that he thinks they should be considering, like a, a full-scale change of how the Bieber structure is. What do you think of that as, as somebody that sits on the advisory board and is, is close to Bieber? Yeah, I, I think Bieber is always open to new suggestions. And it certainly recognises that we are going through, as, as, a, as an industry, we are going through an extensive period of change at the moment. And we can't be close to how we're structured at the moment with, with, with what we would consider to be people outside of the industry potentially supporting Bieber. So um, they're very o- they are open to that. And my experience of working with Bieber is that those types of, of, of discussions are always received positively. But as an industry, and I'm not talking in, about Bieber in isolation now, we are slow, Sarah. We are, we are, <laughs> we are slow to change. I hadn't noticed. Right. This is you're, not something I'd come across. You're, 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 speaking, you're speaking to someone who, you know, spends, spends a significant amount of his time outside of COVID, you know, in and out of the Lloyds building, getting pieces of paper signed, which hasn't changed in 375 years. So... We are slow to change, but Lloyd's is evolving. You know, Lloyd's is now, and and old, you know, die-hard Lloyd's men, we call them three-room guys that, you know, they worked in all three of the different Lloyd's buildings. These three-room guys are even, there's a few of them left, are even saying, you know, I'm pleased that we're trading electronically. Okay, so there, there is change. I think the way that Bieber is structured over time will change. They will evolve. Um, and they're great at that. So maybe we can take that offline and I'll, I'll see if I can't move that forward for you. I'd be delighted to. Yeah, that'd be fabulous. Absolutely. So shifting uh, left a bit slightly, but still related to this sort of industry-wide. And, and obviously what you're doing at BLW is, is, is fabulous in terms of working in, the commun- in our industry for the industry. Tell me about what you've done in Scotland. What you're doing yeah. in Scotland. Yeah, what we're doing in Scotland. Um, I love Scotland. It's a great place to do business. I don't know if you've had any experience of, 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 of working up there. Great place to do business. A lot of integrity in, in, in Scotland. But really, our driving objective for, for, for operating in Scotland was that we were acutely aware of, of this term, the London market. That's a, that's a challenging risk. And he's going to the London market. Where does the expertise exist in the London market? Um, so I don't want to get political with you now um, about the union. Um, oh, go on. Or, or, no, let's not, let's not go there. Um, but that's not entirely true. There's some exceptionally talented and some of the most intellectually gifted underwriters. Of course, they're spread all over the globe, aren't they? Um, so there will be some in Scotland, you know, that are great. But the fact remains that the the epicenter of the world's insurance market, Lloyd's, you know, the oldest institution in the world, whose tagline is Lloyd's insures the world, that is in London. But the access to 
Lloyd's and London Market solutions for small wind dependent brokers in Scotland was very, very limited. Their choices were that, you know, they, they either tried to find a broker in London or they went to one of the nationals. Now, again, I reiterate, there's some great national brokers about and they do great work, but they're structured differently to BLW. They won't put a senior placing broker into Lloyd's for a premium paying £15,000. They can't, but BLW can. But in order to trade effectively with brokers in Scotland, we needed to have a presence up there. Um, and quite rightly, the Scots want to keep, you know, they, they want to, A, they want to hear an accent that's reflective of theirs, not mine. Um, and B, you know, they want to have a guy that they can actually see and, and engage with. So it was a no-brainer for us that, that we provided that really, really smooth avenue from Scotland in, into the London market. And it's worked incredibly well for us. But um, it's about finding solutions to those really challenging risks in, the, in those locations. And consequently, Scotland has worked brilliantly for us. And is there any driver of that because of what's happening in the market with, with non-standard risks, the, the definition being made wider? You know, this, this appointment happened during the last year, hasn't it? Was it January this year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I make no uh, secret of the fact this was not a piece of strategic genius thinking on the part of me uh, or, or, or BLW. This was entirely driven by us being responsive to opportunity and the hardening of the market gave us that, that, that opportunity because it's undeniable that business that composite insurers would have very, comfort, very comfortably written 18 months ago that I would define as vanilla, a, a pretty standard risk. Many of, that, of those types of risks now, for a whole host of different reasons, are no longer considered vanilla risks. And, you know, the Scottish smaller Scottish independent brokers need a solution to that for their, for their customers. So, yeah, it was, it was that change in market condition that drove us to that so quickly. Yeah, I, I had a, um, did a podcast this morning with um, a clinical psychologist in relation to a different business that I, that I run. And one of the things he said is, sometimes we just need to step back. The world's going to move on anyway, and you can react to things as they come where other times you spend all your time and energy going for goal A or prospect B or whatever it is, and you never get there because the world is moving in ways that we don't quite understand. So it's, it's, what, it's what you've just said, being reactive to opportunity is as much a skill as setting a goal and then all the steps you're going to do to get there. Yeah, absolutely. I think business planning is vital. Um, I was really blessed in, in, in my career uh, during my time at Towergate um, Peter Cullum, who, who I'll be forever grateful for, started an academy and, and five or six of us were, were, were sent to that. It was a three-year course and, um, you know, life-changing for me. And I draw on that experience every, every day of my working life still. And this was, you know, uh, the best part of 20 years ago. But during, during that episode of my life, we, we were taught very, very well about, you know, how important business planning was. However, it was also drummed into us uh, at, at Towergate to be entrepreneurial in our thinking, to act as an owner driver, um, which was a great experience for me to then go on and run my own businesses. Um, because, you know, at, at Peter Cullum's knee, we, we were encouraged to think like that. And Towergate in those days 
was incredibly quick to respond. I mean, that was a great big small business, but full of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and that, that's really, looking back at that, it taught me to be opportunistic. Everybody I've spoken to that has worked for Peter Cullum, and I've done a podcast with Peter, and I, obviously David, uh, Tim Johnson, a whole, a whole rec, Clive Nathan, a whole range of people that have worked with Peter have all said the pace at which you moved in the early days of Towergate was like three times any normal day. And what you would normally learn in 10 years, you learned in two under Peter Cullum. And having had the privilege of, 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 of interviewing Peter and meeting him on several occasions about various different things, that entrepreneurial mindset and, and owner-driver really comes across. And obviously, he's, uh, he's been very, very successful in it. So it's, it's interesting. Everybody that has worked for, for, for Peter's got that sort of that to say about it, which, which only if I'd you know, been born 20 years earlier. <laughs> yeah, I, I love my time. Uh, I, I was working at Bryce Mosley, um, which was the oldest independent Lloyds broker and the first big acquisition of, 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 of Talgate. This is in the late 1990s. So, yeah, Peter was hands-on, and I was blessed to spend a lot of time with him. And, you know, people ask who's your, who, who was your best teacher. Mine was Peter Cullen. I, I just buggered about at school, really, if I'm brutally honest. Um, didn't start learning until I joined the insurance industry. But, yeah, Towergate, through that period, you know, the, the, the late 1990s, 2005, 2006, absolutely outstanding business. Hard work, great fun. Great fun, and you know, really, really invested in their people massively. That's what you need. That's particularly what's needed going forward. Now, you know, that yeah. investment in people and, and giving people the control and the sort of inspiration is is what's needed. Tell me, uh, from your experience working with Peter and from your experience of running your own businesses, what tips have you got for? independent insurance brokers now that maybe have hit the, 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 the 5 million GWP ceiling and they're, you know, looking at hard market, looking at low growth, look at, and going, ah, how do, I, how do I crack this? What's your advice for them? Marketing. Marketing. Good one. Marketing. Great. <laughs> okay. Um, if you're not online, you don't exist. Find out what you're really good at because you won't, you won't know it immediately. And you might just say, well, I'm good at insurance broking. But you'll have some hidden specialisms. You, you will have a, a book that you've developed that you're really good at. So find out what those specialisms are. And, and, and don't be put off if they feel overbroked or there's a scheme out there because you might be bringing more to it. So find out what your specialisms are and really push those. I think geography can be your friend in as much as you could be a great local broker. But without a specialism, I think you're going to find it increasingly challenging. So I can't stress enough marketing and that, and that digital profile, I think is, is vitally important. But, you know, these businesses were started because there was great expertise in them. And there's still great expertise in them. But to, to make that transition, and it's a tough, tough movement, that 5 million to 10 million GWP is a really, really, really tough move. But it can be done, and crucial to it, I think, is finding a specialism and pick one that you're good at. Work, work with 
your insurer partners to identify that. And then that marketing message is absolutely, absolutely vital. And you guys at Boston Tullis have got a part to play in this because this industry needs that. You know, and the whole industry needs independent broking to work. The consolidators need independent broking to work. Whilst the nationals may not choose to admit it, that you know, this is a this is competition. And we've learned recently, haven't we, about the European Super League. People want competition, you know, it has to exist. So the nationals need that competition. Bieber needs independent brokers to exist. The government recognizes that SMEs, you know, they're the bedrock of our economy. Small businesses are the bedrock of our economy. So we, we all have a part to play in this, including Boston Tullis, who have to engage with these brokers and get that digital profile and that marketing working. Because, you know, to, to, to finish that question for you, what, what do these guys need to do? It is, it is marketing is vital and a specialism. And um, I'm really grateful for your very, very kind words and obviously completely agree with what you're saying. And one thing you've said there about find your specialism, that's imperative to your marketing being focused, to you being able to attribute a return on investment to any spend you make in that department and to you starting to convert people that you've never even spoken to into your best clients. So thank you very much. Much appreciated. No, not at all. And I'm sure you'll concur. You know, in, in, we're, we're, it, this is a rifle, not a shotgun. When we talk about marketing, you know, don't make it too generic. We're a great insurance broker. I'm sure you are. Be a great insurance broker. But talk about the challenges. Run towards the challenges of COVID and how you can tailor a product to give the customer the cover that they need. Not the, the cover that, you know, the latest commercial combined offering from six composites online offer. They might not want that. So talk about your expertise and able to identify the exact cover that they need. But yeah, it, you know, it's a rifle, not a shotgun. Get a specialism and really hone your skills in that area. I think this might be the rifle, not a shotgun podcast. That'll be a great <laughs> title for it. <laughs> Brett, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. And it's been, as always, very, very interesting. No, it's been my pleasure and I'm sure we'll talk again. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.